All right, save it for the pot. Save oh, it for the pot. Oh, wait, what is that? Okay, start, start it. Here we Let's go. go. It's time to say hey, hey to Tay Tay. I'm Nathan Hunt. <laughs> I'm Cameron DeWitt. I'm Becca DeWitt. And this is a show called uh, Think Outside the Box Set. It's a podcast about learning to appreciate artists that may be misunderstood, unrecognized, or dismissed. And today begins our new season about Taylor Swift. You may have heard of her. She's uh, she's famous, I hear. Um, she's so- the fastest woman alive. <laughs> We should, She's we should, the fastest tailor alive. Oh, man. We should look up a bunch of Tom Swift jokes and just uh, adapt them to Taylor Swift. Now, Nathan, who's that? Uh, it's just a Tom. You've never heard of a Tom Swift jokes? No. It's a. Um, oh, was it literally from or Tom Swifty, I guess, is what it's called. Um, but I. I don't know if they started in Boys Life, the magazine, which is an insane name for a magazine. If, if <laughs> now that I think about it, Boys Life. Um, the idea is just—it's just a one-liner, and it has this exact form. What other toppings should I put on my hot dog? Tom asked with relish. Wow, or, that's a lovely joke. I, know, right? I like that a lot. Or I think do I'm, another one. Do another yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. Do it I, again. I think I am sick. Tom said feverishly. <laughs> So it's all just like a- a- adverbs. <laughs> yeah, it is. I need a Great. candy bar. Adverb Tom jokes. snickered. I guess that one's a verb. <laughs> Math is my favorite subject. Tom added. <laughs> <laughs> I flunked my math exam. Tom said testily. <laughs> oh, Shoot. Ooh, this one's this one's clever. They hung up. Tom recalled. <laughs> Whoa! Wow. Oh boy. Oh, man, my that brain one is just so stimulated. <laughs> now, <laughs> when you say stimulated. <laughs> okay, so um, uh, if this is your first time listening to the show, I'm extremely sorry that you had to listen to the last several minutes of whatever that was. Um, this is a podcast, and uh, we're going to listen to all of Taylor Swift's albums. And we have, we have a, a, a guest spurt, a, an expert in, in the ways of the Tay-Tay, the, the, the Tao of Tay, I think they call it. Right, Becca? <laughs> I've never been so happy to spurt in my life. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! Uh, go get that explicit tag going here. <laughs> oh boy! Uh, yeah. So, in, in what ways is Tay Tay unrecognized? Uh, sorry, what was it? Uh, no, I'm. Uh, What's our log line? <laughs> Uh, what are we what's doing? What's very memorable logline again <laughs> that you came up with, Nathan? Well, is she misunderstood, unrecognized, or dismissed? So, <clears throat> part of my interest in being on this show is that I think Taylor Swift is commonly thought of as a an attractive person with a decent voice who uh, has a lot of success. But I think a lot of people would attribute her success to those two things. And one of my big interests in Taylor Swift, especially since getting my MBA a couple of years ago, is thinking about Taylor Swift, the businesswoman. So I think I think one of the ways that I want to explore Taylor Swift being uh, misunderstood is, is that piece, is how much is Taylor responsible for her own success and how much is it based on really 
fucking intelligent business decisions as opposed to random chance and happening happening to be like beautiful or extra tall that is a great point to make um i can't remember if i said this on the podcast or if this was in person uh what i was just riffing but what i want to say about taylor swift is uh she's not a businesswoman she's a business woman (laughs) you guys know that 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 jay-z line yes okay yes (laughs) okay um uh i'm interested in taylor swift uh, i think along similar lines um but specifically in my last i don't know six or seven years of participating in social media she she often seems to be this is going to be a interesting sentence huh. the, the whipping boy of american white femininity mm, whipping boy hmm? yeah <laughs> she she's sort of like she's she's sort of been well the scapegoat and i don't want to necessarily say that she's not responsible for any of the things that people claim that she is responsible for but she is viewed with an incredible amount of scrutiny Mm. um and her and her whiteness is often um centered in a negative way Mm -hmm. um like for instance when she did uh wildest dreams i believe Mm -hmm. this is the name of the song she did she she wanted to do this music video um, where uh, they're in Africa, and it's sort of like a a, a, a Casablanca style, like old movie, um, uh, like the, it was shot in that kind of way. Mm-hmm. It had the visual language of it, um, and there are all of these endangered animals. And I think she was doing the music video as some sort of like fund rate, like the proceeds of it somehow went to like wildlife uh protection or something in africa and she she was you know to some extent canceled for spending a lot of money to make a music video in africa that featured little to no actual black people Mm. or african black african people Mm -hmm. um so like little things like that or like shake it off which the con like the concept of the video which is different than the concept of the song um the concept of the video is like that there are all of these super professional dance teams of different genres and taylor is sort of in the middle of them um being foolish and incompetent which i think is a great concept that is a good um, concept for video. I, I just assumed it was like everyone just making the like hand motions for like four <laughs> minutes or whatever. No, it's like I think there's like a ballet team and then there's like a hip hop dance group. Uh, and I think there's a few color uh, guard. There's a color guard as well. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. Anyway, she she got like also to some extent canceled for for her like depiction of like black bodies in her like hip hop dance group and for her like trying to twerk and failing. And to me it was it was very clear that she is the foolish one in the group, but um a lot of people were upset or at least the internet would have us believe that a lot of people were upset about 
is just sort of appropriating um you know black bodies and black art forms as it for a joke mm-hmm. and like i don't necessarily have a take one way or another like about it <laughs> like and and honestly it's not really that particular issue isn't really for me um to make a decision about but i i do think that it is interesting that she receives so much um criticism uh, around her whiteness and i'm interested at the end of the day in whether or not her music is is good <laughs> yeah because that's often the thing like there's all these public you know persona and like the the, the way she takes up space in the media etc and all the artists that we've covered but it's like well what is the music doing i'm not i don't really know like what all is right. actually the product of a studio album of taylor swift's i haven't listened to any of them Taylor is really famous for having all of these like beefs or supposed beefs with people. As far as I know, she doesn't have any actual beefs with Beyonce, but there's a lot of accusations levied against her from Beyonce's fans that Taylor is ripping ideas off of Beyonce. Like um, Taylor Swift did a concert where um, everybody was in like marching band outfits and um, mimicking marching bands. And a lot of people accused her of ripping off of Beachella, Beyonce's like, Coachella show, where there was a lot of marching band themes. And that and that accusation comes up, um, has come up multiple times against her. Huh. Again, I don't I don't know that actually, as far as I know, she and Beyonce don't actually have any direct beef with one another. But um, and Beyonce was also the subject of the really famous like uh, spat with Kanye that Taylor had, the reason that she and Kanye got in a spat is because Kanye was, like, standing up for Beyonce. So there's, like... Mm. Anyway, it's another a- element of, of yeah. her sort of vil- villainy. Do Taylor Swift fans ever call her uh, beef Beyonce? Gonna count all the beefs? <laughs> <laughs> One can only assume, Nathan. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I am also... I don't... Hmm? I don't think I'm going to make that the title. I think that's in poor taste. If I make that the title, I think that's just going to be sort of a red herring. And I really want the rest of the episode like to not be beef. about that. <laughs> okay. Um, I am very interested in Taylor Swift's artistic integrity because the impression that I got of her was that she was basically like Miley Cyrus. Like when I first heard the name Taylor Swift, I was like, Taylor Swift, Miley Cyrus, they're all the same person. Like who, you know, whatever. They're like young. It's truther over here. <laughs> what? Uh, they're like young. That's Hannah Montana and Miley Cyrus, Nathan. Oh, okay. Whoops. Whoopsie. <laughs> but, you know, who's to say she couldn't just have a third stage name, you know? Um, so, yeah, way back in the day, like, I guess around, you know, the late two mid to late 2000s when her music st- first started coming out I was like ah you know she's like a young poppy country singer like teenager girl so I, w- I just like didn't really pay attention to her because in so many ways it was not for me um, and then somewhere along the way she like stopped being country and then kind of became like a pop vocalist and to me like I the idea like the 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 image I got of her is like kind of a Carrie Underwood or um like Katy Perry just kind of like pop singer which is to say I I don't know how true this is of any of those names I've mentioned but the the image I had of her was kind of a lightweight shallow just kind of like face to sell records who sang other people's songs but in the trivial amount of research I, I did for this episode, and it was very minimal, I found that Taylor Swift wrote all of these songs. She was 
uh, th- she was in her freshman year of high school, and she wrote all of these songs, and it became a. There are co-writing album. credits. Yes, there are co-writing credits. Yeah, and but she's she her name is on all of them as the first writer, also. And her reputation from Liz Rose, who's the co-writer on a lot of them, is that Taylor came in with a lot of what she needed already. Right. Like, there are quotes of Liz saying that, that she came in with a lot of what she needed already, and yeah. and Liz just sort of helped refine it. Yeah, just imagine that, like, being a freshman in high school, writing these songs, and then, like, having a best-selling album come out because of these songs. And, like, and it, to me, it really seems like she launched off of, off of her songwriting strengths. And... I w- yeah. I would say that the smartest song on this album, our song, um, I well, I would say that, well, that one our is song by Elton John, so. is this. <laughs> or sorry, that's your song. <laughs> I would say that our song is is sort of the smartest song in terms of like pop sensibility and sort of country or pop country like form, um, and she's the only writing credit on it. Yeah, you're right. There are three that she's the only writing credit on. Yeah. Um, also, just a, a little bit of uh, extra trivia that I saw. She hosted Saturday Night Live in, I want to say like 2007 or 2008, like pretty early on. And huh. she was the first host of Saturday Night Live. Um, well, she, she was the host and the musical guest. This was 2009. And she was the first host to write their own opening monologue. Oh, wow. Huh. In like what was it? It was like 25 years, almost like over 20 years. No, no, over 30 years of SNL being around. And she's the first one to write her own opening monologue. That's wild. Yeah. And she, like before Louis CK. Well, like, I don't know. I don't know actually. Um, but she, she's also like a tiny little teenager baby at this point too. And she's like breaking these kinds of records. Like it's pretty clear. She's got like writing chops in a way that, you know, the image of her, like never really brought that out at least that i was picking up from pop culture not really paying attention right through osmosis she says that about herself in the netflix like documentary about her she says every every artist will tell you that that you know what the thing is that makes them unique and she said for me it's my narrative storytelling in my songs and she said if i didn't have that i wouldn't have anything mm. I mean, she doesn't say that that's not a direct quote but that's what she says about herself is like the thing that makes her popular and successful mm-hmm yeah, and um, true to form, like, I mean, I haven't read all the lyrics of the album because I just ran out of time to prepare, but uh, the ones I did, like, the songs are about something. Like, yep. <laughs> they're they're more coherently about stuff than a lot of the Billy Joel songs we listened to <laughs> recently. <laughs> like, they have, they have a better grasp of voice, narration, and imagery than a lot of the Billy Joel stuff we listened to. And he was a grown-ass man who was old and bald and shit, and she's, like, 14 <laughs> to 16 years old, you know? <laughs> he had that she's, bald boost and even so yeah exactly she's not even bald yet if you can believe it <laughs> quite the contrary she has a lot of extra hair i would say in this in this album cover <laughs> yes that's true she's got a lot of hair superfluous uh, hair she's very airbrushed also um she doesn't look like her uh, she kind of looks like uh scarlett johansson to me a little bit do you guys see that no no Okay, thanks, for the su- <laughs> thanks for the support and the yes ending, Cameron. <laughs> no, but I hate you <laughs> and your opinions. <laughs> uh, I wish I had a nickel for every time I heard that today. Mm. Should we talk about songs? I guess so. 
Do you have anything else, like, uh, to set the scene, Becca, like, before we start? To set the scene about the album? Yeah, or about, like, Taylor in general, to set the season. Uh, there's a couple things that I would say. One is that Taylor Swift is six months younger than me. Oh. And so I think that's one thing that, like, that I carry into this. What's that? What's that? What's that face? What's that face mean? <laughs> That's one thing that I'm carrying into this is just when I think about her, I think more than any other pop star, she's like, that's a thing that I think about with she's her. She's made a fool of us. <laughs> what, what did I do? What have I done? What have I done? I also what have we think accomplished? something that's interesting about her for you and this podcast is that she's the first artist I would contend that you've covered whose success steadily increased and is still increasing. Mm. And in fact, perhaps the first artist you've covered who has been consistently successful. You've covered a lot of artists who have Ooh. one or two one or two really big albums that kind of define their career. But then when you actually go through their discography, a lot of their albums are just sort of no hits or very few hits, um, which I would contend is not the case for Taylor at all. That as we go through her discography, mm. she's going to get more and more hits that are popular with each album. That's I don't know if that's point. true about My Chemical Romance, mm. but I would say that whatever success My Chemical Romance has had, it pales in comparison to Taylor Swift. Yes. And also the, they're, newest stuff uh has like definitely dropped off like their their last album and those like weird eps they released were like oh yeah nobody liked this <laughs> yeah <laughs> like they definitely had a, a sharp drop off in relevancy and popularity in their last like phase of their career also what about bob marley what about bob yes that's fair what about bob <laughs> All, but i think the point remains that like uh, there is definitely a trend uh <laughs> Of the artists that we cover, of like some sort of early on album being massively influential, and then just the the artist sort of being like, "Well, I made my jacket little pill. Time to be pretty sad for yep. twenty years. Time to rest of my laurels." <laughs> and that might be most artists in general. I mean, I think that's one of the things that sets Taylor apart is that it's, I think, quite hard for any for any artist of any kind to create mostly successes. Mm-hmm. Um, I just I just saw on her Wikipedia page that her middle name is Allison, so I would mm. prefer if we could refer to her as Taz from now on, if you guys don't mind. <laughs> great, great, great. Are we going to talk a little bit about context for this album? Because I do have a few general general notes about kind of what's happening in her life leading into this album. Do you want that? Well, you guys do you want that from me? Yeah. What? What happened? Did you do a funny sound sample? Yeah, I, I searched YouTube for Taz noises, <laughs> and I had a, a Looney Tunes clip where Taz is like, Tazzin' out, <laughs> but I guess you guys couldn't hear it. You know that I can't hear those when you play them. What? <laughs> those are just for you. I can, we talked about this. Did we? Yeah. I think I can make it so you can hear them. You've also made it happen before, too, but you you never permanently change it. Oh, I'm shit. leaving all this in. Uh, God damn you. <laughs> Well, this very very good fight. I uh, I wasn't listening to what Becca was saying. <laughs> Becca, can you repeat everything word for word twice for me? Yeah, I have a couple things about like context for what's happening in her life leading up to this album that I want to drop. Yeah. So she grows up in rural Pennsylvania. Her family moves oh, to Nashville. On, Nathan, can you make sure not to play any more Looney Tunes noises during this while my <laughs> wife is talking? <laughs> Thanks for interrupting me. I'll be right with you. Master Brian Dale, homie. Should I blow my nose now or is it better to talk? <laughs> 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 
<laughs> well, now you're referencing something that's not going to make it in the final cut. <laughs> Maybe it'll be the B-roll. Now we have to put it in. I guess so. I demand. So do you, do you want to hear my sweet, sweet trivia or not? <laughs> I do. I do. I do. I so much want to hear. She grew up in rural Pennsylvania. She moved to Nashville at 13 to make uh, an album. That's what she wanted to do. And her family knew that. Her grandma had been an opera singer. And she very much like idealized her and wanted to follow in her footsteps. She spends the next two years living in Nashville and trying to sign a record deal. And during that time, she spends a lot of time hanging out with this guy, Nathan Chapman, who is like a producer, but a producer who hasn't done much yet or made a name for himself. Um, one of the things wh- I read, it said she would go visit him in a shack behind a recording studio and play songs for him. <laughs> so that's great. It's very good. I'd love to hear that. Um, love yeah. to hear that. Uh, but, Green flags. Mm, go, go, go. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Nothing to see here, folks. Yes. But when she finally got signed, uh, she picked Nathan Chapman as her producer. She looked at all these different producers and she picked him. And her studio was really skeptical about it um, because he wasn't a known name at the time. He hadn't really done anything big. Uh and this she is just some sort of shack man. <laughs> He's a shack man. Uh, but she chose him. She was like, I really like his style. I think this is the guy we should go with. So point point number one for Taylor being a smart business person at the age of 16, she is you know, vying for her own producer and saying, like, no, this is the person I want to go with. Also, she had originally signed with RCA Records, but she ultimately rejected it and went with another recording studio uh, because they were offering her an artist development deal. Mm. And she didn't want it. She wanted more power in the contract, and so she dropped them and went with a different studio. So that's huh. point number two oh, for yeah. Taylor, even at the age of sixteen. Either her or potentially someone in her life, who knows? But but she or someone on her team uh, making really smart business decisions. I don't know a lot about artist development deals, but essentially, um, often it sounds like they give the studio a lot of like rights of first refusal and those sorts of things without giving the artist any power so mm-hmm. i'm sure taylor is still making money off of these songs and that's money that would be going to huh. the studio mm-hmm. if she hadn't done it um <laughs> there's some really good baby noises going on mm. here um yes last uh last point for taylor in terms of already setting the stage for her being a good businesswoman is that most radio tours are about six weeks um, and she did a six month radio tour. So she did a really expensive radio tour from this album because huh. she really wanted to get her face out there and really wanted to like meet the people that she was working with. Is that where you like um, go to a radio station and like talk yep. to the DJs and they play your music and maybe you even take some calls and stuff? Endure a bunch of really toxic bullshit, yeah. I'm sure. Oh, I'm sure. Uh-huh. <laughs> Oof. Uh-huh. Especially in two thousand six, damn. Yep. Um and then the last thing that I thought was interesting is she lists Patsy Klein and Dolly Parton as early influences. So that is not really a credit to her as a business person, but that is a... Oh, and Liz Rose is also sort of a... Liz Rose is a co-writer on a lot of these, and she is a... um, She is a woman in her 40s who used to work at a bank and then, like, started working at a a recording studio really late in life. And I think Taylor was her first, like, major success or major work that she did. So there's a lot of sort of unknown things. I don't know that Taylor was as responsible for picking Liz Rose, but... um, Sort of a lot of unknown names that get woven into her story and ultimately, like, make this really big success. Um... Yeah, you know obviously say, Nathan Chapman being the biggest. Every Liz Rose has its Liz Thorns. <laughs> Very good. But, well, no, it's not. 
<laughs> um, I don't have to tell the truth. <laughs> yeah, don't lie to me. Don't patronize me. Uh, do you guys want to talk about Tim McGraw? Not the yes. artist, though. No, 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 no. Well, no. when I think of Tim McGraw, I think of Taylor Swift. And Romantically. Oh. <laughs> Just like when I uh, think of... Um, What's his face? I can't think. Yeah, <laughs> I was gonna do this whole. When bit. I think of that person, I, I was gonna do this whole bit that. where I was like, just like Taolin, uh, Taylor Swift loves to name things, title works of her art by the names of other artists in the same field. But then I couldn't remember which one Taolin used. So, fuck me, I guess. That's that's a poet, right? Uh, he writes poetry. He also wrote a book. Um, it was called Richard Yates. I just looked it up. I can't take credit for that. Cool. Uh, I'm leaving all of that in. God damn it. I think that's all worth it. Is Fuck. that rare enough that you have to specifically mention it? <laughs> Congratulations, Nathan. I will let you speak now on the podcast. <laughs> um, uh, there, there was a, a meme when we were all in college, a, a, an interpersonal non-digital meme of... Um, Talin, which is uh, you'll have to remind me exactly how it goes, but basically there's this one Talin like poem or something where he says like I'll be right back or something, which which he sets up to mean I'm going to go masturbate now. Oh, that's um, right. <laughs> oh man, I, I forgot all about that. And every every time like we like left a room, we'd just like look at each other and be like I'll I'll be right back. <laughs> 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 we were constantly masturbating in those days the days of wine and roses the salad days <laughs> <laughs> alright let's listen to this fucking song it's called Tim McGraw all summer long and then the time we woke up to find that summer gone but when you think Tim McGraw I hope you think my favorite song the one we dance to all night long so I don't think I, I blame uh, Taylor Swift very much for this song, um, to her credit. <laughs> She's, I feel like she is pretty skillfully deploying the, uh, the pandering tropes of country music in this song. Um, for instance, in the chorus, when you think happiness, I hope you think that little black dress, think of my head on your chest and my old faded blue jeans. Mm. Girl, you're like 15. How old can those blue jeans be, honestly? <laughs> I got jeans that are older than you. <laughs> it doesn't take that long to fade blue jeans. It's true, but how old are fair. they, honestly? <laughs> they're probably they're like at max, they're like 2 to 3 years old, right? I can't keep I can't keep jeans for longer than 2 years because they will fall apart. Your big dick just like wears a big hole right through them. <laughs> Thank you, Nathan. You're welcome. <laughs> I'm here to support you. <laughs> God, we're loosey goosey tonight. Uh, she talks about her jeans a fair amount in this album. She, at least one other time. At least maybe one other twice. Time. Yeah, yeah. I definitely noticed uh, some jean talk. Um, what do you think of this song, Becca? <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. I did definitely write down jeans. <laughs> Love. Pickup truck. Yeah. Does she say <laughs> some of my notes? Again? Well, she talks about the Chevy. Just a boy in a oh, Chevy truck. Chevy. Yeah. Chevy. She's also like talking like she, 
her character in this is is Georgian, I guess. Not the yeah. country, but the state. Mm. He said, the way my blue eyes shined put those Georgia stars, stars to shame yeah. that night. <laughs> <laughs> Just a boy in a Yugo truck. Uh, is, is it just me, or does any time that, like, blue eyes are sort of, like, romanticized or seen as, a, like, attractive or, or extolled for being, like, attractive, it just feels like white supremacy? Totally, yeah. Not only white supremacy, but, like, Aryan, like, hair yeah, yeah, yeah. like, kind of shit. <laughs> That's just why does it get, folks? <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe this is sour grapes coming from three people who don't have blue eyes, right? <laughs> Maybe we're just jealous. Is that what it is? Oh man. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it is funny. It opens with the she talks about her own blue eyes. Yeah, it she, feels like the most pandering part of the of the song. Really, I put the the blue jeans and the Chevy. I don't know. Um, yeah, it's it's funny how she like kind of puts on the the like costume of a like rural southern white person um to talk about put those georgia stars to shame that night when she is from redding pennsylvania which i i don't think i've ever been to i i have not been to ever been to redding she's from outside redding she's from wyosing wyosing something oh i thought she moved there we gonna look it up she was born she was born in west redding and then she oh. moved to Wyoming. I mean, there's a, f- there's definitely some suburbs of, of Philly that are like profoundly moneyed, right? But yeah, most of, <laughs> most of Pennsylvania is basically, basically Tennessee, like culturally. Yeah, I mean, people call it Pennsylvania sometimes. Um, yeah, and it is Appalachian. That's true. And she grew up on a farm, apparently, as well. Yeah, she is also kind of a child of privilege. I mean, her dad is a Merrill Lynch stockbroker, or was at one point. Um, and her mom was a marketing executive, or had been. Um, so there's definitely, like... I mean, I, I don't I don't say that to, like, diminish her talent. Um, it's just, it's, it's very... It was very good for her that she was able to be born into an environment that nurtured those talents and like yeah. had the money sure. to uh send her to get like music lessons and vocal lessons and like all you know the whole thing. and move towns just so she could pursue her music career i mean it's pretty insane yes to move down to nashville yeah so yeah i guess it's very possible that she you know even though she's invoking georgia stars which i guess they have different stars than florida yes or the neighboring whole different states. constellations <laughs> Um, even though she's invoking like uh, maybe something that sounds more rural or southern or like you know coded a certain way, she hypothetically maybe has had a lot of these experiences or sure. similar experiences. Yeah, totally. We don't know. Yeah, I mean, West it might Redding. not just be drag. Yeah, <laughs> poor people drag. Exactly. I don't think West Reading is probably. I mean, I think it's a pretty like small town. It's interesting. It's interesting hearing y'all talk about this because I, so I grew up like relatively privileged, right? Like my dad was an ER doctor, but I also grew up in a town of 4,000 people that was the biggest town for an hour and a half around, you know, like 
Tillamook. So like I, I mean like these experiences, I didn't have these specific experiences, but this is definitely culturally very much like what I come out of is, is this like a lot of, you know, my kids that I went to high school with like driving Chevy trucks and like, I mean, we was like a farming town. So, I mean, I don't know that these, I don't know that this necessarily has to go hand in hand with poverty, you know? Right. There is a sort of class and geography distinction uh or or like assumptions that people have with those that aren't necessarily true yeah right. like can you be sort of like ethnically <laughs> <laughs> sure yeah it's like an ethnic identity that doesn't necessarily have to do with how much money you have yeah but i also think about like your upbringing as being like oh yeah you like went to didn't you frequently go to an orthodontist like in the willamette valley Totally, totally. But I, but I like definitely like dated somebody who had a pickup truck and most of my friends did and what people did for fun, you know, involved a lot of rural air, like, you know, driving around dirt roads and Chevy trucks and like that, you know, that is, it wasn't necessarily what my friends and like personally were into, but it's very much what a lot of my peers were. What's up? He sounds sounds very, he sounds very masculine. (laughs) (laughs) I'm intimidated. (laughs) should be i had a pickup truck too <laughs> i don't believe you i really did really it was awesome oh. yeah i did yeah i mean i first car yeah i mean cameron's from the biggest metro area in oregon and i'm from the second biggest um and we both have had those like su- somewhat similar experiences like driving around in pickup trucks and i mean i spent a large part of my uh formative years like kind of out in the middle of nowhere um kind of in the country so like yeah I, I, I totally get what you're saying and I, yeah, I totally agree that it, it isn't necessarily like just because she has a you know, presumably fairly well off comfortable family it doesn't necessarily mean that it's inauthentic for her to talk about Chevy trucks and I don't think she's pretending that she doesn't have money I mean in her music videos she's often wearing ball gowns mm-hmm. you know and she's talking about like you gotta ask my daddy if you want to propose to me I mean she's she's I don't think she's pretending that she's poor country. I think she's she talks like she's affluent and from the country, you know? Yeah. I would contend. Totally. Um, I feel like she kind of puts on a a voice, though. I think that's, that is one thing that feels a little bit draggy to me, is uh, mm. sometimes it feels like she's kind of putting on a, a country voice accent kind of thing in a way that doesn't... I mean, it's, it's always hard to tell, of course. And I have not heard her, like, speak prosaically... Uh, without singing but it does feel a little bit affected uh some of the times she's singing on this album yeah there's one there's one moment where she says the word radio and it's like excuse me (laughs) (laughs) i think i have that in a sound club yeah yeah oh very good all right should we move on to a different song then i don't think she has like a multiple paragraphs about every song um in the genius lyrics and i don't know how much of it's worth actually talking about but um she says that this song deals with the haunting power of music and how hearing a song after years a a song years after it was first popular can have such an emotional appeal basically the song such a funny thing for like a 16 year old to say i mean not to like diminish their lived experience but (laughs) i mean i i know it is true that like you know two years ago when she was 14, she could have had this song be really popular. And then two years later, it like brings right. all those memories flooding back. And in some ways that's more powerful because you're much different from 14 to 16 than you are from like 30 to 32, typically speaking. 
but it is still just like as a very old ancient person now it's so funny to hear like 16 year olds talk about memories from years ago come flooding back i i think it is a testament to her songwriting that she's invoking sort of the tradition of pop country and and sort of carving out a space for herself and say and like placing herself in a cultural moment mm-hmm. and i think that that is actually uh smart uh smart songwriting in terms of like the way that she's portraying her own character i also think lore building she's one of the like deep deep paradoxes i see within taylor swift as a person is that she talks about herself and describes herself as being incredibly lonely and incredibly on the outside which we'll talk about in a little bit like with the song the outside but she describes herself as regularly feeling like she didn't fit in and like wasn't a cool kid which is super ironic given that she's like such a pop culture icon like she is in a lot of ways the cool kid Mm -hmm. culturally um but that's not the way that she sees herself or has experienced herself and i yeah i think i think there's a lot of loneliness in her that maybe is related to the ways that she talks like an old soul Mm -hmm. you have to have old genes to be lonely you know (laughs) (laughs) uh yeah let's move let's move on because yeah. I don't know how much actually longer we should do this episode. Yeah, we're <laughs> we've only done one song. Yep. Should we skip <laughs> a lot of build up? Let's skip picture to burn maybe and go on to teardrops on my guitar. Be- Becca, what songs are important to you to talk about? Um, let's see. Actually, I think picture to burn is important. Oh, okay. And yeah, I'll tell you why in a sec. Okay, here we go. Crazy that's fine. So the line that you clipped in yeah. on, uh, the lyric is, so go and tell your friends that I'm obsessive and crazy. That's fine. You won't mind if I say. Um, <clears throat> to me, this is important because this is a theme that Taylor returns to pretty consistently, is this idea that she's like, that men see her as being, yeah, sort of like type A and crazy. And and she comes back to it again and again and again. It's pretty frequent. Mm-hmm. Um, it's most notable in her song. Uh, I totally can't remember the name of it. Bad blood. No, not bad blood. Shake it off. No, you're gonna make it worse for me. Um, Party twenty-two. In the USA. Born in the USA. Hey, there's a, a Miley Truther over there. Yeah. This is this is good. Um, <laughs> this is good. <laughs> all right, your name is the hook from it. Blank space. Blank space. Yes, thank you. It's I have notable. transcribed that song for money before. <laughs> for work. I think that's the most quintessential song where she talks about that, but it's a recurrent theme for Taylor. Is She writes about love a lot. She writes about breakups and boys who she used to love a lot, and she particularly, this idea that she's perceived as like obsessive and crazy is kind of a recurrent itch for her to scratch. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, which is why I think this song is important. I also think this song is her... I dug my keys into the side of his pretty little souped-up four-wheel drive, her Carrie Underwood, I Hate Your Pickup Truck mm. song. <laughs> you know what song I'm talking about? No. Carrie Underwood has a revenge song where she finds out that someone's cheating on her and she keys his car, ah, his pickup truck. Ah. And I think this is Taylor Swift's version of that. I see. Um, 
my daddy's so, gonna show you how sorry you'll be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, anytime daddies are mentioned, especially by the name Daddy, is a little bit cringy yeah. as far as I'm concerned. I think that this chorus is really well put together, um, rhyme scheme wise. I was gonna point that and out. And lyrically. Yeah. Uh so so I like the line, so watch me strike a match on all my wasted time. I think that's a good lyric. Mm-hmm. And then because she, she doesn't follow it with, and we'll watch it burn together or something. And then there will be fire. Like she, she sort of sets up the idea without like driving it home um, or over explaining the metaphor. Yep. She just sort of throws it out there and like, I don't know if strike a match on uh is like an idiom necessarily but she throws it out there as if it is one Mm -hmm. and i think that's pretty effective and then so yeah the the chorus goes drive lying time so it has assonance Mm -hmm. um at the end of each one but not a pure rhyme yeah um so it goes a a a as far as assonance is concerned and then it goes b b for for the last line yeah, as far as i'm rhyme. concerned you're just another picture to burn and i think that's a really pleasant rhyme scheme i agree and i also kind of like that she carries over the second line because uh, she says i hate that stupid old pickup truck you never let me drive i you're a redneck heartbreak who's really bad at lying the like lion oh yeah really bad at lion the second syllable of it like falls musically on the next uh like phrase which i think is a a neat little little effect yeah this feels like a little bit classist you know because like if he had like more opportunities and uh more resources he could be a better liar (laughs) that's a really privileged thing to say (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm laughing, but I also can't really tell the point you're making with that joke. <laughs> <laughs> All right. She said he's a, re- a redneck bad liar. Ah. Do you think there's no rich rednecks? I guess that's what we're talking about again, isn't it? Huh. I don't know. If your I mean, solid gold like porch re- collapses and it kills ten dogs, <laughs> you might be a red rich redneck. I feel like redneck is saying... You you're doing manual labor in the sun. That's I think that's what it used to mean. I think it has become a self-identification term of people who embrace a certain set of cultural signifiers. Jeff Foxworthy is a rich redneck, I guess. Yeah, right. he's maybe the prototype of the rich yeah. redneck. Okay. Or maybe like a Texas oil man from like the fifties, <laughs> like <laughs> the prototype of the rich redneck. I'm just making uh, a joke with no real point uh should we listen to a banjo solo (laughs) yeah we should this is the producer the producer does like all of the like string band instruments on this album the producer being nathan the person we talked about earlier not me but the other guy the other I also noticed uh, the guy playing fiddle on this song is Rob Hajakos. That's probably not how it's pronounced, uh, but I remember him from some Garth albums. Oh, interesting. Yeah. All right. uh, We've gotten through two songs. Should we, what should we move on to next? Becca. 
Uh, we need to do teardrops on my guitar as well because it is supposedly widely considered her breakout song and is largely responsible for winning the CMA Horizon Award and the ACMA Awards Trophy for the top female artist. That's 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 a great point, Becca, and I, I like how you phrased it so uh, succinctly and uh, professionally, just right off the dome, just like right off the top of your head without even looking at any notes or anything or reading anything. Yep. No kind of no teleprompter. Problem. You got it. Yeah. <laughs> with me he says he's so in love he's finally got it right i wonder if he knows he's all i think about it now he's a reason for the teardrops on my guitar the only thing that keeps me wishing on a wishing star he's a song in the car i keep singing we got about a guy named drew but apparently it's her second Drew song on the It's about album. Drew Carey. It's about Drew Carey. <laughs> it's about Drew Barrymore. Mm. Drew looks at me, I fake a smile so he won't see that I want and I'm needing everything that we should be. That's that's not a bad opening uh, verse. It's, again, a lot better than a lot of like Billy Joel opening verses. I think it's really interesting and really surprising that this is the song. I mean, there are a lot of songs that stand out from this album, but according to what I read, this is the song that was the most successful, Mm. which is really surprising to me because it's a little bit, like lyrically, it's a bit of a strange, um, it's a bit of a strange song. She's friend zone. Yeah. Yeah. The OG friend zone ballad. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Taylor's such a simp. (laughs) (laughs) She should be learning how to become a Chad. Even even the title like "Teardrops on My Guitar" just feels like sort of the most teenage angsty song. Like the that's like the most angsty title that I can imagine. Maybe that's why it was popular. Honestly, maybe maybe a little pandery. Yeah, totally. Because um, I I was reading uh, maybe it was on Wikipedia. S- somebody was saying like her first success was that she tapped into a previously kind of unserved market, which was teenage girls who listen to country music. Because huh. for so long, huh. the only people that they had were like older women like you know patsy klein or dolly parton or just like a bunch of big bro sausage fest guys (laughs) (laughs) and there weren't like a lot of young female country stars Uh, yeah it's a great point i was i i think it'd be really great if she if teardrops on my guitar was a song about like uh it's just an expository song about fixing water damage uh (laughs) on a guitar <laughs> this is a song about like where to put the clamps mm-hmm. and different dehumidifier brands. Mm-hmm. You gotta sand it. And there's you gotta refinish parts of it. If there if there's any like if there's any like a warpage, you gotta put some clamps on there. Maybe rebrace the whole thing. Like it's it's a it could be a big project. You know, it's just yeah. an instructional video disguised as enough a song. to make you cry. Yeah, <laughs> but don't. But don't because you'll have to do it twice. <laughs> All right, that's my contribution i'm good i'm good on this song that's everything i had to say yeah. okay uh all right uh do we need to talk about a place in this world cold as you we probably want to talk about i that. don't need to talk about place in this world uh she wrote it when you. she was 13 oh. oh oh cameron needs to talk about it that's all the, let's okay. all listen to it yeah yeah the lyrics are pretty are pretty bad um mm-hmm. cold as you i'm interested in talking about okay for a couple reasons let's clip it in Yeah, 
that's kind of a cool chorus just like how long the lines are oh what a shame what a rainy ending given to a perfect day that's a very long line and it takes up a lot of like space musically and i kind of like that that approach hmm apparently she has a, a habit of making her fifth song on every album be like sort of a intense vulnerable emotional song which this Whoa, is the really? fifth song mm. on this album fact Ooh, taylor oh. swift numerology start Ooh. counting everybody add it up Ooh. Uh, i really like the line i start a fight because i need to feel something i think that's uh i think that's like pretty insightful don't make so eye contact with me partner <laughs> partner howdy partner <laughs> I do. I think that, I think that's a pretty insightful thing to say. And I, yes, definitely like have have done that before. It's like, why am I having a fight? Oh, because I'm. I think one of the reasons I relate to Taylor Swift a lot, maybe a reason that a lot of young women do, is that I think that one of the ways that women are cultured is to be really uh, to this idea that you're going to be saved by love and that romance is going to like save you that you can just like put all of your energy into that you don't need to worry about like dreaming about other things you can just dream about love and that's where all of your like energy and your intensity and your value can go um do you feel like she's subverting that or that she's leaning into that desire i feel like taylor swift is a deeply deeply romantic person and deeply bought into that and i think over the course of her career she gets really burned by it and eventually withdraws from it and then sort of finds some i think i hope redemption in it in her like by the time she hits lover her her second to last album um she starts to sort of redeem that and like figure out what having an actual relationship looks like um, but I think it's one of the big arcs in her story is her, I mean, that's one of the huge arcs in her story is her relationship with romance and what men do or don't mean for her and her value and her emotional stability. Mm. That it is a very insightful, like emotionally intelligent, like lyric starting a fight just to feel something totally. like that's yeah. not really something I would expect to hear someone of her age admit or maybe just like people in general like Absolutely. that's a very self-aware thing mm-hmm. um also uh and you do what you want because i'm not what you wanted uh i think is a pretty insightful observation mm-hmm. about power dynamics in a relationship how mm-hmm. sometimes people are in a relationship just because they're bored or they need something to do or because they haven't ended it yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way that when one person in a relationship needs a relationship more than the other, the way that that um, affects how the people treat each other. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, that's an idea that I, that I know about, but I haven't necessarily heard really explicitly explored in a in a song and she does it just in one line yeah and you do what you want because i'm not what you wanted i really one thing i really appreciate about the song is it's it's a device song kind of like a classic we saw garth do so many of these billy joel um where he there's like one phrase or one idea one concept that the entire song is built around in this case it's in the title it's the end of the chorus. And now I'm sitting here thinking it through. I've never been anywhere cold as you. And if Garth were to write a line or th- this song, he would like that line would come to him. And then he'd just write the entire song based around that one line. And the rest of it would essentially just be a bunch of like bullshit filler. And yeah. 
what Taylor Swift does is she has that song, that that line, and it is a part of the song, but it's not really the thing driving the song. It's just kind of like kind of the maybe one of the more strong images about what she's talking about. It's kind of like a summation, but she also puts in other good lines like uh uh and you come away with a great little story of a mess of a dreamer with the nerve to adore you like talking about how that's what their relationship was and that's how he's going to remember it uh, and that's mm. what he's going to end up thinking of her like if garth were writing the song he would not have other lines that were that good <laughs> yeah that's a great line it's like that feeling of uh being embarrassed or shamed for caring too much, for being too sincere, mm-hmm. for not being cynical enough, mm-hmm. I think that's a I think that's a feeling that a lot of people in general encounter in romance. Uh, but I think especially teenagers, and I don't think that's necessarily spoken to uh, enough mm-hmm. in those terms. It's also the third. We're on the fifth song of the album. It's the third song of the album where she's specifically wondering about what an ex is going to say about her to other people. Yeah, which I think is a pretty big hallmark of her psychology. She does that in the the obsessive and crazy line. And the first song in the album is also specifically about that. It's written because she's wondering what her ex boyfriend is going to think about her, or what her soon to be ex boyfriend is going to think about her once they break up. It's a really specific aspect of misogyny Hmm. which is what happens after the relationship Mm -hmm. what happens in the community Mm. when you no longer have control over the narrative Hmm. as the woman and maybe also specifically the centering of the story she's talking about breaking up and the thing she's thinking about is how he will feel Mm -hmm. when they break up and what he will say and not not what she will feel and what she will say i'm curious to see how that changes like as we work through her albums, how her response, like if, if the way she changes, like centers the story changes. I, I consider that to be centered on her because he's worried. She's worried about the, she's worried about the repercussions and her in the optics and how they might affect her negatively. That's how I, that's what I read into it. I don't think that's necessarily explicitly in the text, but Sure. Yeah, I hear that. I just think it's interesting. Like the, um, she's all of these breakup songs are a lot of them are about what he's going to do after they break up instead of what she's going, you know, what she's going to do. And yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very focused on, on the other's power. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Which is maybe a way of saying the same thing. Yeah. Uh, well, should we talk about like what? One more song? sure if if we had to choose one song from the rest of the album i would vote for our song that's probably the most important although should have said no was also i I also really like mary's song um i thought that it was one of the best songs lyrically one of the most specific lyric writing in the in here but i think our song is i mean maybe two more maybe do mary's and our song sure i'm down i'm down to clown down to frown uh, let's, let's, let's do Mary's song first. Uh, sorry, sorry. Mary's song in parentheses, Oh My My My. Rolled their eyes and said, Oh my, my, my. Took me back to the house in the backyard tree. Said you'd beat me up. You were bigger than me. You never did. You never did. 
this is a song about a neighbor of hers. Yeah, uh, a neighbor of hers named Mary, who, well, it, it, at least in the song, is named Mary. I don't know if the real person was, who um, had had known this man since she was like a little kid and ended up like falling in love and getting married to this this guy. And so there's a lot of like imagery in the song and a narrative in the song about kind of growing up together and then beginning to fall in love. Yep. It's one of the few songs that isn't about really specifically adolescent issues. Yeah. A lot of the songs feel very specifically centered in like young high school. Mm -hmm. Um, But this one feels much more, I mean, it's almost like the the notebook is sort of what what this song is. I haven't seen the notebook. You haven't seen the notebook? I haven't seen the the notebook. Stop the podcast. We'll be back in two hours. (laughs) (laughs) Crying, but edified. (laughs) Is it good? I think it's pre- it's it's at least extremely effective, um, but maybe also good. It's, I haven't mm. watched it in a while. I don't know if I'm ready to commit mm. on record. Mm-hmm. Nathan made a noise like he thinks that's bad. Well, mm. I there's another. Noise. Don't know if I saw it all the way through, but it seemed like extremely sentimental and emotionally manipulative to me, and very like couch, like an example of and a huge reinforcement of. Uh, weirdo like christian patriarchy and approaches to like quote unquote um courtship and uh huh. that's sort of the the image i have of it um now looking back on it i don't that's know if that's fair or accurate but i don't know but it's out there but it's out there <laughs> for all for all and to I see am the expert. i really like the line in the song take me back when our world was one block wide mm-hmm I like it because it feels really, I think it's a good line, a good lyric, and it also feels really in line with the way that even my mom, but especially the generation above her, like my grandparents' generation, describes things. Like the stories of just like, my mom grew up in Salem and her grandma, or my grandma grew up in Salem and just talking about just like Oregon running around Salem. What? Oregon or Massachusetts? Or- Oregon. Okay. Oregon. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they just talk about like run, you know, running around everywhere, just like in little gangs of kids, like not having any supervision because it was super small and it was super safe and or it felt safe anyway and yeah i like that line i think it's really evocative Mm -hmm. that is a really good line that's a good lyric yeah this the chorus has some good lyrics in it um said you'd beat me up you were bigger than me you never did you never did i'm still waiting for you to beat me up (laughs) come on i ain't ain't got all day i ain't getting any younger come on and when that day comes I like Please that the 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 thing that feels like musically it functions as the chorus is the thing that has different lyrics every time. Yes. It's like different moments in the relationship throughout mm-hmm. the decades. Yeah. Can can it can it be called a chorus if the lyrics are not the same every time? It fe- the dro- the musical drop of it feels like the in term it, in terms of the pop music effect of that moment in the music, it feels like the chorus, but yeah, no, it's not a chorus mm. in the lyrical function. I see. I mean, it's, it says chorus right there in the genius. It so. does. And I, I don't disagree. Oh, whoa. The plot pickings. Um, that's why I think it's interesting. It has me saying things about it. <laughs> I have something to say about it. So it's interesting. <laughs> I'll be 87, you'll be 89. I'll still look at you like the stars that shine in the sky. Oh, my, my, my. My, my, my. (laughs) Baby, my, my, my. My, my, my. My, my, my. 
Uh, like the Bon Iver song. <laughs> All right. Um, Restacks. What? Oh, uh, the 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 off the Lay's knockoff of Pringles. You mean Lay's stacks? <laughs> Bon Iver wrote a whole a whole song about that weirdo like off-brand snack food. It was odd. Oh shit. You should put that in the learning <laughs> links just so everyone remembers that that's a thing that actually existed. <laughs> we skipped something that I think is interesting on a, on another song. Just looking back at my in my brain notes. And uh we didn't talk about the song should have said no. Uh maybe we should, I don't know. Maybe we should say no. But uh she wrote it 2 days before mastering was scheduled. She called and recorded it and completed it overnight. Damn. Which I also think is really interesting. Again, like she's a 16-year-old. This is her first album. And she's like, hey, I just wrote the song. We got to put it on the album. And it ends up being one of the, I think, one of the singles. Oh. Um, anyway, just going to, yeah, drop yeah. that in there. No, I think we should move on to our song. All right, our song. I Let's think that's it. enough to talk about for yeah. that one, though. All done. All done. Your daddy says, baby, something wrong. I say nothing. I was just so this one is like maybe sonically one of the most country pandering ones like she has a, yes. a very affected voice and the chorus um sounds like like extremely precedented for pop country what's that song about like um something cold beers on a friday night and the radio on friday uh, sounds about right uh chicken fried lyrics by zach brown band but at least the, the at least the things that she's listing in this they have like a i don't know they feel very they feel very compatible with you know pandering things but they they're actually about like a relationship yeah and they're sweet kind of sentimental moments and they're not just like brands of beer yes <laughs> or brands of truck <laughs> a listicle <laughs> or brands of truck yeah, yeah. a beer listicle mm. yeah I, I, there's a lot of good specifics and I, I like the form also our song is a slamming screen door sneaking out late tapping on your window when we're on the phone and you talk real slow because it's late and your mama don't know this sounds like a John Cage song yeah. or something. <laughs> this is very challenging, the ideas of what music is. Yes, exactly. Yeah, because it, it goes A, B, B, B is the rhyme scheme in those first four lines. Uh, and the, and the, like, the form of it, rhythmically, is also really interesting. She also uses really good consonants. Song is a slamming screen, door sneaking out late, tapping. Mm. There's like, a lot of the lines start with really good, hard consonants. Lots of uh, onomatopoeia. She's my favorite post-minimalist composer. <laughs> when are we going to get a maximalist a clip of this. composer, huh? It's about time. <laughs> I think I have a clip of this that just oh. shows her country affectation if you want to play oh, it. It's like the last chorus. Oh, yes. Delicious. Where she countries the hardest. Yes. our song. <laughs> Real slow. <laughs> oh 
boy. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know where that particular like vocal thing comes from, the vocal tick, but it's yeah, it feels very like pandering country. I think she's trying to deliver it like she's like she's laughing while while she's singing, mm-hmm. which is yeah, a really interesting uh delivery. A lot of people dislike Chance the Rapper for doing that in his rap because they feel like it's manipulative or or it's like, are you really Mm. having like a candid moment where you're laughing Mm. while you're delivering a lyric? Mm -hmm. I like it. (laughs) I still have not really listened. I think this song is better for it. Yeah. (laughs) I like about this song. uh, We, so we talked about this idea that she's like really lonely and going into this album, she often describes herself feeling really left out because she's giving so much of her time to country music and like not, building relationships with classmates but it says in the genius that the reason that this album was included or this song was included in the album is because her classmates really liked it she wrote it for a talent show at her high school and so they included it because it was popular with her classmates which i really i really like that feels really sweet sweet to me it's like in taylor's story about herself like hey you think you're really lonely but like look this is the thing that you did that brings your passion together with your like community and I think that's I think that's sweet. That's sweet. Speaking of sweet, um, the top. I believe this song. Oh, oh, oh. I was just gonna say made. uh, I mean, (laughs) but I mean, no, you go. I'd hardly say that's a fair one at this. Pick it up. Pick it up. Pick it up. Make some more Scott noises. <laughs> I'm going to go now. Do okay, it. I'm going to go. This song made her the youngest person to write and perform a number one song on the U.S. country song charts. Damn, girl. Oh. Damn. That's actually a great segue into uh, uh, the top comment on the genius from a user named Tina. She says, I love this song. I hope you all. Sorry. I have to, I have to get the rhythm right. <clears throat> I love this song. I hope you all to love. Go, girl. Keep up the good work. Love you all. <laughs> Show me how you work. Yeah. Work, work. Work, oh work. I do not like that song. My last factoid on this song is that Andy Leftwich, who is a four-time Grammy winner, is the fiddler. Oh. This song. He was hmm. playing mandolin hmm. in one of those earlier ones. Hmm. What has he been doing? Not Andy Leftwich. Oh. He don't do that. Oh. I wonder if he's related to Brad Leftwich, the old-time fiddler and old-time super nerd. Who can say? Um, I wanted to make a joke about Left Shark and Leftwich, but I just... I mean... The best I can come I up with. I don't think that would have landed because I don't know that reference. Oh, it's that Katy Perry um, at the Super Bowl. Oh, I do know that reference. Yeah, come on. Don't lie to me. It was like Sorry. a big time meme for like five minutes in like 2012. It's a long time ago. <laughs> Who could forget? <laughs> yeah. I don't think it was that long ago. <laughs> um, well, mm-hmm. should we close it up? Let's close up the box. <laughs> um, yeah. So thanks for listening, everyone. We'll be back next week with Tay-Tay's next album. In the meantime, you can visit us online at boxset.website. Email us at email at boxset.website. Tweet us at Topias Podcast. Uh, you can support us in a number of different ways. Uh, most easily is to go on iTunes, uh, jam that star button, write us a review. Uh, next easiest is to tell people about the show. Share it with people. Force them to listen to it. Make your friends and family listen to this show, whether they like it or not, especially if they don't. Uh, yeah, do a clockwork orange, but with their ears. Yeah, the Ludovico technique, but for us. That's it. Or Ludovico, however that's pronounced. I don't know. I still don't know. Uh, Ludovico. 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 <laughs> Everyone knows that's how it's pronounced. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
You can also support us if you want to be real, real cool cats about it. You can give us we money. want to be a real droog. <laughs> you want to be a, a real manky droog. You can go to support.boxset.website and kick us a few... Uh, fuck, I forgot what they call money in that in that book. Kick us a few eggy wags. Take <laughs> <laughs> <Pink> eggy wags. <laughs> and, we, and in turn, we'll give you access to all of our bonus material, including a weekly mini-show called What's in the Box Weekly, in which we talked about... What did we talk about this week, y'all? We're talking about Steven Universe. Yeah! And Dances Who Run With Wolves. That's it. <laughs> That's, That's it. what it's called. The new HBO show, Dancing with Running the Wolves <laughs> That Are Being Raised. The great hit new show from sci-fi uh, master R- Riddle and Scott. Uh, <laughs> you can also join our Discord. The link will be in the show notes. And... You should, if you haven't done this before, give give a try to Cameron's other podcast. It's called Get Up in the Cool, and it's about and is old time traditional uh, uh, acoustic musics. Not not always old old time in in capital letters o capital letters O and T, but uh, traditional musics. That is to say. And my other podcast, Get Up in the Gruel. It's a fan podcast <laughs> about breakfast cereals. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess on a podcast about grits, it's. Uh, a, we get real gritty. We have gritty on as a, as an additional guest from Philly. <laughs> okay. Well, this has been a train wreck. Um, That's not a laugh. This is me gasping for air. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, I've been Nathan Hunt, and please beat me up. I've been Becca Dewitt, and I'm wearing your oldest jeans. And I've been Cameron Dewitt, and da da ba da ba da da. Bring the beef in. (laughs) I don't get it. (laughs) Captain blow my nose really loudly. Is this a good point for that? Yeah. Is this a good point to loudly blow my nose? If you're lucky, camera will push you. Trying to think of a way to sneak it in. You know, like make it part of the landscape. I could not. Mm. I did not. I would not. Prepare yourselves. Ah. Baby is afraid of nose blowing, and you have I've to smile. I've been irresponsible. Is <laughs> <laughs> <It's> a joke? <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Well, I think I think we just found the most misophonic uh, outro <laughs> post post credits <laughs> for the show yet. <laughs> Did that help, Becca? <laughs> I, I it was not only helping you cover it up, but also just providing like a lot of context and background and support. I think is the word I would use. And I've never felt so hip while blowing my nose before. I'll give you that. <laughs> it's like this is right where I'm supposed to be. Yeah, <laughs> this is where it's happening. You just make it a song. You know what I mean? <laughs> my body is beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, <laughs>
It's like that. It's like that one song. Um, your nose is a wonderland. I think it's called. <laughs> I'm sorry. Your sinus system is a wonderland. <laughs> By Taylor' favorite John Mayer. Oh, does she like him? She loved. Oh, I think she so like, likes him. <laughs> I keep. I, I love that neither one of you know that much about Taylor Swift. Uh, her song nothing. "Dear John" is one of her most popular angry breakup songs about John Mayer. Did she we'll get that John on? January? All right, save she, it for the pot. Save oh, it for yeah. the pot. Oh, wait, what is that? Okay, start, start it. Here we go.